As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich? How are we doing? Jordan, it's a big day. Oh my gosh. First of all, everyone should know, mm-hmm. I can see Rich right now. And when you I was can? in- Yeah. And when I How? was- <laughs> Surprise, no. Oh, I'm scared. <laughs> We're Zooming because we oh. have some exciting, exciting news to share with you guys here in a second. I do want to say I almost messed up this episode right from the get-go, Rich, because I almost introduced myself as Rich Hammond and you as oh. Rod Rodriguez. Well, so. nobody, not, you'd be the first person who ever wanted to do that. But uh, yeah, Jordan, this is our 100th episode of 11 Personnel. I cannot believe it. We started uh, more than a year ago, almost a year and a half ago, I guess. Uh, our good friend Vinny Bonsignor and I, when when he was on the beat, we had no idea what we were doing, uh, <laughs> but somehow managed to get through a, a few episodes. Uh, and we've been so lucky to have you now for almost a year. Jordan. I know. It's like, it's kind of cool for me. It's almost coming up on my one year anniversary covering the Rams um, and taking over this this fine podcast uh, with my fabulous co-host Rich Hammond. Rich, long pause. How we doing? And so I I've been really really excited um, that the two sort of coincide. We are extremely excited to share that um, we have a special guest coming on with us a little bit later. We're going to cover some news first, but Rams general manager Les Snead is going to be joining us via Zoom. Uh, I think he's, they finished up their draft meetings and, uh, he's going to be zooming in from his, his place in Malibu. So we're pretty excited to, to welcome him on. We're going to talk all things Rams. There's a little bit of news we want to get to, but also, um, how many things have changed over this past year. And, and Rich, I mean, you've been here longer than, than I am, um, both on earth and on this beat. And I just, (laughs) you're, you're welcome. And, um, I just like, it's, it's, it's amazing to me, even in the last year, all of the things that have happened and changed and taken place from the Rams getting to SoFi and, and walking through the SoFi tunnels for the first time 
to the uniforms that I know you love to, to talk about, to personnel changes, to a quarterback change. And we're going to get into all of that with Les Snead. Um, but first, you guys are stuck with us. And we do want to cover some news. And Rich, uh, kind of a kind of an eventful week in t- as free agency has slowly dragged on here. Yeah, it's uh, I, I got a big surprise, Jordan. I, I will admit uh, when when I am wrong or when I when my analysis isn't spot on. But Austin Blythe uh, signs with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, just a one year deal for not a lot of money. I Jordan, I was surprised. I mean, I for one, I thought that things would work out, that he would be able to come back to the Rams. And, and under any circumstance, I kind of thought he would get more money than he did. So so maybe that's just a product of the center market. I, I don't think it speaks entirely to Austin himself, but I was surprised. I will admit, I, I thought he would be back. I did not think the Rams would pivot this offseason, uh, bringing in a new quarterback and, and making some other changes. I thought that they would opt for some stability at that position, but we certainly knew that it was a possibility. Anytime a guy hits free agency, there's no guarantees. So how did that play out, Jordan? Because I know you've, you've got some insight into that. Yeah, so my current understanding, and like in a couple minutes, Les Snead could get on and blow my entire analysis to smithereens. But, you know, my current understanding is that like there are so many factors that go into this. And and first of all, I also want to say like I got this I got this wrong because I was – 95% sure that Austin Blythe was going to re-sign with the Rams. And this is dialogue that he and the Rams had about returning um, throughout the last year. It just it didn't just start in free agency. And so I, I thought, especially after they brought Matthew Stafford in, um, I thought that he would continue to be a priority and not a priority in the financial sense of the word. And I want to make that clear because I've seen some chatter um, here and there that sort of made made it seem like I meant, oh, they're going to give him, you know, eight million a year for three years. No, that's not the case. When I say priority, I mean like a priority position and you have to still battle the market. You have to still have a staring contest with the market. The Rams knew um, at a certain point once they fe- like learned the salary cap number and once they understood where free agency was going to fall, the Rams knew that they could not only pose a low number, but also stay there. And that was what they were determined to do was pose a low number. The offer to Austin Blythe was very similar to the one-year near-minimum deal that Kansas City offered him, and ultimately he signed for very, very similar, a couple hundred thousand dollars more, um, a couple more bonuses, incentives, things like that, but very similar. And so they thought that as the center market continued to bottom out, that they could get into a staring contest with him and ultimately cycle him back through and he would return. What they didn't anticipate and what I certainly didn't anticipate and something we all need to, I think, keep in mind in free agency is um, he actually chose to go to Kansas City. The Rams offer was a, a couple hundred thousand higher from what it sounds like, but he chose to go to Kansas City. And part of that, again, my understanding is, and he he came out this week and he was talking about how he grew up a, a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and he was born in the area, um, which I think is a is a powerful pull. Um, I am doing my taxes right now. I would also say taxes would probably have something to do with it. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, yes, it has taken me this long to continue doing my taxes. Um, <laughs> but I I think that that's part of it, and and we we can't underestimate that part of it. So for me, a combination of um, first of all, the Rams firmly establishing that they either have to go 
center in the draft, and they also have other players who they're willing to shuffle around on their offensive line. Whether or not it's at their detriment, we will find out. But the Rams making it clear that this deal for Austin would be a bridge deal, well, that doesn't say to a player, hey, I want to buy a house here and raise my my young child who was born last year here or right. or any of those things. And so I think that in Kansas City, regardless of their needs and whether or not they, they go heavy offensive line in the draft, there's a better opportunity to stick long-term um, just the kinds of deals historically the Rams have or have not handed out here along their offensive line versus Kansas City wanting to reshape their offensive line in this way and and offering him what it sounds like a little bit of position flexibility in, in doing that and finding an opportunity to stick. Those factors, to me, really motivated him to opt away from what the Rams were offering him. And, and I said this before, it, all it takes is – when you're in a staring contest like that, all it takes is for another team to blink first, right? And if you're not the team that blinks and you're, as the player, you're not blinking and a, another team comes in and, and sort of swoops in with this, this other offer, um, you know, it, it, it happens. And now, though, Rich, there's so much uncertainty at the position. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny you talk about how things change over a year, but the, the Rams are kind of right back to where they were two years ago, essentially, when they decided that they weren't going to bring back John Sullivan. Um, that was a little bit of a different decision. That was a more active decision on the part of the Rams, you know, not to, to bring, bring, bring him back on the second year of that contract. But it created a very similar situation where uh, they needed a center. They ended up drafting Brian Allen and, and putting him in that spot, believing that he could start out right away and have some success. And it just didn't work. We've, I don't know how many times, if we've done 100 podcast episodes, I've probably mentioned that about 85 times. But uh, so everybody's well aware of that. But, but they're kind of back in that same position now, Jordan, because if the, you don't know what's going to happen here. You know, I know you mentioned in, in your story on the Athletic uh, the app and the website, um, Austin Corbett is, is a possibility. He was, he was a center um, much like Austin Blythe early in his career, uh, kind of got moved around, didn't didn't have a whole lot of success at center early on, got moved to guard and then uh, got moved back to center. So is that part of the plan? Perhaps. Perhaps he gets a look in OTAs. Uh, does Brian Allen now get another look? Perhaps. Um, is there somebody coming in the draft? I think uh, we'll, we'll have to ask less about that, but it certainly <laughs> sounds sure like... I'm sure he'll tell us, yeah. Uh, totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get which one and what pick. <laughs> Uh, but you have to think that there's, regardless of those other two situations, you have to think that there's somebody coming in there. So I'll admit it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's, it's a little bit dangerous to, to be doing what the Rams are, are doing right now, but, um, they believe in it and new offensive line coach, Kevin Carberry is going to get a, a new look at a couple of these guys. Maybe he has thoughts about what type of center he likes. Um, we don't, we don't know all those things exactly, but, I don't know, Jordan. Uh, it's it's. I, I thought that they would make a little bit stronger of a push. But like you said, Austin Blythe, he has a lot of roots in the Iowa area, I know. Um, and, and the other thing I would only add to what you said is, hey, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, yeah. this is not, you're not going to the Jets. You're not going to the Jaguars. I mean, he can, he's going to step into arguably the best offense in the NFL and a very good chance to win a Super Bowl ring. And, and you know, he had that with the Rams too, but he's probably going into an even more advantageous situation. So if those other things are equal or somewhat equal, then you can't blame a guy for, for doing what he did. So best of luck to him. Great guy, by the way. Yeah. Um, always just been super, super helpful 
And, uh, you know, hope he, hope he has a lot of success there in Kansas City. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that I think is important to note, because you see it on Twitter, God help us all. And like <laughs> <laughs> you see like, oh, well, he, they didn't they didn't care about him. Like they off, look at how low they offered him. They didn't they didn't care about him. They didn't prioritize him. Like, again, the the center position is a priority and retaining Austin Blythe is still was there still their plan A. The reason why they didn't offer him more money is because they didn't think they would have to. Right. Like they they read the center market correctly. It's just another team came in. If Kansas City hadn't come in and signed him at that number, the Rams were going to be able to get him back at that number. That was the number that they decided. It, it wasn't that like, um, you, you know, I think every human being, especially when you talk to these players and like they have families and everything, you want everyone to get paid a ton of money, right? But the way that the salary cap was shrunken this year and the way the Rams finances were set up and they're still not completely set right now. There are still things moving around and, and fluid and they have to still backload some savings for the next year and the year after that and all of these things. Well, it's not like, Oh, you know, uh, we disregard your talent. So that's why we're not offering you this money. They did. They knew they didn't have to. I mean, look, he didn't get a better offer. Right. You know what I mean? Like they right. they read the market correctly. They didn't right. have to offer him more money. So why would a team do that from a fiscal perspective and a business perspective? Why would a team do that regardless of whether or not they prioritize the player or the position? Why would a team offer that player more money when they knew that they didn't have to? I mean, look how long it took for that center market to cycle back around. You are you are like um, scooping the gunk at the bottom of your garbage disposal at that point. That's how wow. low the center market bottomed out. Sorry wow. to gross you out, Rich. I can now yeah, see your face, no. so I'm realizing yeah, my metaphors uh, are not hitting. Just, <laughs> I was going to do that tonight. That was going to be my uh, Tuesday night activity. But, um, yeah. It's it's your favorite game, Jordan. Center chicken, right? I center mean, chicken, yeah. Sweeping sweeping the nation, but that's exactly what that's a, that's an outstanding point. I mean, it's you. They probably thought they knew what the number was, and and they were probably right if 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 he was just purely picking a number, uh, but but that's not the case. Yeah. So you know that's uh, there, there's always a plan B, and and I'll be I'll be interested to hear um, Les's thoughts on that. Yeah, you don't always win the game of chicken, and then no. you end up sort of telegraphing what your needs are. And I wrote a piece this week where like, yeah, their needs are hella telegraphed right now um, to use a. <laughs> I can't believe right. I just said hella. Yay, I'm officially back on the West Coast. This is a celebration, guys. Uh officially back. Um uh but I think that I think that um it, it it's like yeah, of course they need a center and I wrote a piece this week where they said, you know, even if you need this position desperately, it's actually an okay draft to need a, this player. However, um it's so hard to start on the offensive line as a rookie, let alone at, mm. at center. And so I would see that as an unlikely situation unless they somehow, like a guy like Landon Dickerson, like fell to them somehow at 57. I like right. this Quinn Miners kid. Um, but again, you don't know how they will do in their first off season and you don't want to rush a guy. You especially don't want to rush a guy behind, you know, in front of a veteran quarterback. Um, and I think that, so, you, you know, your likeliest scenario is looking at a, one of the Rams currently rostered players being a bridge scenario. And then the, the new guy coming in, in year two and continuing to play on that cheap deal for the next three years and start there. And that's kind of like a, a positive scenario that they can find themselves in, but you still have to find the right player. 
And to me, like, this is a draft where you don't even necessarily need to identify him at pick 57, but that's your number one. That's your top pick. And that's where the best talent is going to be allegedly. And so um, now they're playing uh, draft pick chicken at this point, uh, again, with the center position, because I, I do think it's an absolute must for them to to, to draft a, a center. And it would almost be like egregiously ignoring the talent that's in this draft class to not do so especially yeah. when it's lining up, you're lining up with potential best player available and need. Like you could you could hit the magical crosshatch, like the center of the Venn diagram of best player available and need if you are are drafting center with, you know, one of your first two picks. So I, it, it's going to be yeah. really interesting here moving forward. Um, and, and then you got to find someone the quarterback's comfortable with uh, and get him into camp when his thumb heals up. Right, Rich? I was just going to say, <laughs> you, you took the words out of the 2021, the, the year of the thumb, right? I oh, mean, my this gosh. Is, we're, uh, Jordan, you, you, you broke this story. Although, 2020 thumb. Yes, oh, man. I, gotta, I know. You got to start marking these down again. Um, <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, Jordan, you, you broke this story, although you, you, it wouldn't be uh, obvious in some corners of the internet, but you, you actually uh, were the one who... <laughs> Uh, who found this this story first? So so what's going on? If, if people haven't seen for some reason, of course they should be reading your coverage uh, at the Athletic every day. But uh, Matthew Stafford was uh, found him with with some kind of splint on his on his hand, right? But it, but it looks like a, not not a whole lot to worry about. Yeah. So you know the professional thing is to cite your sources, right, and to cite wherever you got you the do? information. So I was I made sure I technically didn't break this. Kelly Stafford technically broke this on her Instagram story. And You're right. Like yes. I'm really looking forward to meeting her because it's very weird to be creeping on someone's Instagram without having never met them. But hello, <laughs> Kelly, that is what I'm doing as a reporter. I'm so sorry. Welcome um, to Los Angeles. Yes. So <laughs> Kelly Stafford, Matthew Stafford's wife, um, posted a picture or a video in their her Instagram story of all of uh, the families uh, you, was on a plane and they were getting ready to to go on a flight somewhere. And and the camera panned and Matthew Stafford has his arm resting on a pillow and his thumb and hand is in the air of his throwing arm. And there's like a very small, soft black brace around it. And that's that's absolutely, you know, you, I've covered this game for a while. That's the one you always see after there's a procedure because it protects yeah. not only from swelling on the flight, but also from whatever procedure had was healing up on your on your thumb so I was like okay uh better ask about this so yes Matthew Stafford did have a minor elective procedure on his thumb last year he told the Detroit Free Press that he had suffered a uh like partially torn UCL in his thumb on his throwing hand um so you know we're not in a situation where like for example he needed screws put in to the base of his thumb yes. um it was described to me as like a super minor elective procedure and so um to me there's no such thing as a minor surgery however if you're going to rank them this one was pretty pretty minor yeah. um and he's expected you know team activities are supposed to start up like end of april april like 19th i think it is um, April 16th, April 19th, where you can start meeting and having throwing sessions and, and things like that with teammates at the team facilities. And he's expected to be fine for those. Yeah. So, so it's a good sign. It was like a little bit of a minor scare. You know, you just bring in uh, a veteran quarterback and you, you, you know, give away a boatload to get him and he's supposed right. to like lead you to a Super Bowl, And then all of a sudden you see the brace 
on his hand. And But, you know, nothing to panic about, in my opinion. Yeah. Obviously, you want to make sure that all the other things he was dealing with last year are okay as well. But uh, there's no reason to expect that he won't be fully ready to go by the time OTAs open up. Gosh, and that's so soon, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, you talk about a year ago, and, you know, I remember – it was right about this time. We weren't even sure what was going to be happening with the draft. We yeah. certainly weren't sure what was going to be happening with OTAs or anything like that. So um, it's it's exciting. It's exciting to know that the things are, are getting back to normal and and hopefully that everybody can be safe and, and all that. But uh, Jordan, I, I know we've got uh, a lot. Yes. A lot to talk about uh, with our special guests. So do you want to sh- share once again with everybody who we're bringing in? Yes. So uh, we are bringing in Les Snead in honor of our 100th episode. I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear this interview. Um, in the spirit of bringing on Les Snead, I did want to throw you guys an update on the Rams comp picks. Um, if you ah. want to um, look at these in, in a little bit more close detail, you can go to the Athletics Real-Time app. In, in your app uh, on your phone, if you have the athletic app, and I hope that you do because it's it's pretty nice. Um, and also where you can find us at the 11 Personnel Podcast, by the way. Um, we have this feature where it's basically like I get to write little miniature stories for you, and they're also free. <laughs> so um, no reason to not be clicking on these. I share them on Twitter as well, so you can find them. Anyway, uh, last week I shared some information over the cap, which we love. We love over the cap um, as a site. Um, and we uh, th- they've been doing their compensatory pick formula equation. And in in the spirit of Les Snead, who we know loves, loves him a good comp pick, oh, yeah. um, I-, I wanted to make sure that we touched on those. So right now they're projected in 2022 to receive uh, a third round pick. And that was because of the Brad Holmes hire in Detroit. Um, a fourth round pick that is for John Johnson, a sixth round pick for Samson Ebucom, uh, a sixth round pick for Gerald Everett, a sixth round pick for Troy Hill, a sixth round pick for Morgan Fox. Um, the limit on these picks is you can only have four as a team, but my current understanding, and this could change, but my current understanding is that the comp pick for, um, the policy that the NFL enacted if uh, minority coaching or GM candidates got hired into a GM or head coaching position, those comp picks do not count against the formula limit. So the Rams could have a third, a fourth, and three sixths, which I think was still a little bit lower than people expected, but a lot of it's contract-based and it could still, the formula could still change. Um, Teams have this formula internally. Nobody in the public really technically does have this formula, so it could right, still right. change. Like there could be a little bit of math um, that's that's different here ultimately. But so far, looking like a shitload of picks <laughs> for the Rams right. uh, in in 2022. Um, so and you know, obviously they've also given away quite a few. But um, you know, yeah. this this is this is part of what we're going to talk about with Les here in a couple of minutes is team building strategy and why these comp picks are, are so important to them in the future. So really, really looking forward to um, having him on. Um, and without further ado, here's Les Need. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, we are so excited to welcome in our fabulous guests for our centennial episode, our 100th episode, um, a guy who actually needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Les Sneed, GM for your Los Angeles Rams. Les, how are we doing? I'm jacked to be on 100. <laughs> I mean, this is this is an honor. This I mean, we're on somewhere. Y'all got to send me some type of trophy for this. We'll send you a new pair of glasses. How about yeah, that? That'll be cool. We had we had Demoff on uh, a while ago, but we we made him talk about like logos and uniforms and stuff like that. So we're we're actually going to get into uh, actual interesting uh, football stuff with with you. That had to be a boring podcast, right? I mean, your most le- your least listened to Less, podcast. Do you, do you, we need to introduce you to more Rams fans. I think like they uh, this is really all they care about is the uh, we we could do an hour with you on on logos and uniforms and uh, and it, it would be the biggest thing ever. I mean, people. What I do know is is uh, I was watching some cut ups today with Sean and the the old that that Sean's first year at Dallas Uni combination. You know it that was awful where you we, the, the blue with the white horns but we we still had the the blue gold unis the, the i think the league wouldn't yeah. let you yep match yeah you you were wearing the the blue ones with with the gold trim on them and then the the helmets with the white yeah i mean those really the, the, when i saw it today i'm like that might be the most <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> yeah, not not a high point. Not a high point. But we beat the Cowboys yeah. that day. In, indeed. So there you go. Will little whatever Sean calls some version of a wheel route to girly. That's right. Uh, That's right. It's the small victories in situations such as this. Now uh, you could win games in in your your fabulous new uniforms. Uh, personally, I was you know this was all I heard about joining the beat almost a year ago. Uh, today was Rich giving me the warning that all of this uniform stuff was coming. All of these new things were coming, but they sure look good up on that uh, that big screen up in SoFi. I'll tell you what. Yeah, well, I'm a big fan of the new unit. Usually, I'm I'm a traditionalist, so it, I'm like I'm like most fans. Change, change is you know that's okay. I'm I'm okay with it. But they uh, I was they were they look good. They popped. They grew on me. Pretty cool. And especially when you see as Sean cuts up all his, you know, videos from let's call it 17 to to 20, you see the 20 unis pop up with some of those 17 ones. And it's yeah. they really appreciate the new uniforms. Just a stark contrast too. Um, and you know, I think that one of my one of my favorite things is thinking about just all the aspects of how rapidly you guys have changed so many things about this franchise and it wasn't just obviously picking up and and moving uh the franchise to Los Angeles but but opening the doors to your your stadium for the first time um and, and massive changes such as that operating in a pandemic this last year all of the little daily changes that came with that you obviously making a massive change at quarterback and then you know personnel changes everywhere along the roster 
Um, the one we want to get to first before we get into a little bit more of the big picture stuff is um, recently uh, in this sort of third-ish wave of free agency, um, Austin Blythe signing with the, the Kansas City Chiefs. My understanding was that there was an offer on the table from you guys, um, but but those situations get so complicated and nuanced, in my opinion, Les, and I'm, I'm sure you can speak a little bit more on uh, – how those things sort of play out, particularly in an unprecedented, shrunken sort of salary cap season that this was. Yeah, I think uh, I think it boils down to really with with Austin too. What's interesting this the if you call it the shrunken salary cap, uh, we were we were you know basically only able to offer Austin so much money, and and, and I'll be honest, he someone who's started as many games as he has for us and is successful as we've been at times, you know, probably did deserve uh, more money, but that, that was out of his control and a little bit of out of our control. So I, I think at the end of the day, uh, maybe he, he felt like, Hey, it was, it was good for a change of scenery. Uh, maybe go get a start, fresh start somewhere else and see, see if he could parlay that into a, a better salary. But uh but again, I do know this. We 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 were comfortable with with moving forward, focusing on the draft, and, and also had talked many times uh, internally about some players on our roster and, and making the you know either uh, having some players who played other positions work out uh, an attempt to take the center job, uh, who've been centers in the past have have you know have snapped and played center in the past and also some of the guys, you know, that uh, I would call Coleman Shelton and Brian Allen who are on our roster as primarily center. So mm-hmm. that's where we're at. That's uh, what we, you know, wanted to do. You know, I, when I talk to people and like kind of troubleshoot through that, what this situation was for you guys, it's like um, the thing, the thing I kept hearing over and over again was like, we've got a new offensive line coach coming in. We want to get better along the offensive line. We know that long, you know, long-term get some guys that we need to see who, who they are for us. Right. We need to figure them out. We need to figure out how they fit for us now and in the longer term. And then also there's no, the way that it was sort of put is like, well, there's no better time to do it because you're sort of starting fresh, not only there uh, in, in some places, but also at the position behind the center as well. And for me, like when I look at it and I am a novice football mind compared to everyone in your building, but, um, I, I think the opposite, I think, well, you know, why, why do you want to have an unknown at that position? But, but when you're also dealing with the second, un, uh, you know, a second new person in Matthew Stafford, um, who we can now talk about freely without oh, yeah. tampering, which is wonderful. Um, you know, how does that, dynamic work and and what's that process and figuring that out um long term because like you mentioned several weeks ago it's it's a complicated one complicated i think right i ideal world let's say hey have as uh the, the least possible changes that you can again as you mentioned earlier right there's intentional uh adaptation and an adjustment that you got to do hey that's hey move to los angeles build a new stadium move in there's also times when there's unintentional and there's a there's a I guess you call it a global pandemic that uh, you have to adjust and adapt, adapt to. And, and that's what we had to do on our roster. But uh, you made some good points uh, with with new offensive line coach. Uh, 
uh, and new quarterback Sean Sean and his staff are going to spend this this offseason too, maybe refining some of the language of the offense. Always looking for ways to let's go maybe simplify some of the language or how or also relook at how you install things, teach things, where you start and, and all that. So it was it was probably as good a time to move from that position. I do think also uh, having someone like Matt, Matt's had a few centers uh, in Detroit and had some good ones uh, there. But when you do have a veteran quarterback uh, with his experience, uh, you know, he's going to, he's going to make that transition and the knowledge that he brings and the experience he brings uh, uh, easier for everyone. Yeah. And like, we talked at the at the beginning of this. You said you're you're a guy who doesn't really like rapid change, and but you've had to do it so much, and you've cho- you know as a staff, you guys have chosen to do it so much. And to me, the NFL is so uh, it, it moves in cycles and patterns, right? But change in a, in a in a quick pivot is is often hard to do. And I think over the last year, as we talk about the big picture stuff of of how things have changed for you guys as a franchise. Um, it's striking how many quick and quick's the wrong word, but how many um, sharper turns that you guys have taken, whether it's moving on from guys who weren't working out in your system um, or financially moving on um, right up, you know, from from Todd Gurley to Brandon Cooks to, to Jared Goff at the end of the year. And, and to me, that that part of it's the dynamic of that is striking because NFL teams are so monolithic, right? It's like this creaking ship that you have to try to steer and I, and that dynamic to me is so fascinating. Um, if you could expand on what it's like and, f- and what it's been like for you guys collectively and with continuity along the higher ranking positions in your staff, jumping in and, and basically spinning the, spinning the ship around at a, at a quicker rate than maybe it would have been possible or thought possible in the past. Um. Really good question. We could go a long time on that. I'm glad you defined monolithic for me. Me too. <laughs> I saw it in the email and I'm like, I think I know what that means, but it's we're trying to get the, the I call it. I try to get the imagery, a the, creaking the ship, ship to do a, a U-turn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it uh, interestingly, I think too, when you look at a an NFL, if, I'd say this, things do happen probably faster, move faster in the NFL. Because, hey, there's a season, it rapidly moves to an offseason. I mean, I don't know how many days we were into the offseason before it breaks that we had, uh, you know, agreed to trade for Matthew Stafford. So, and and then it, things happen, and all of a sudden it's, it's free agency, and then there's draft, and then there's a next season, and then there's – then it's that whole cycle spins, and then there's a next one. Uh, so – we often say, boy, wouldn't it be nice if you had another month or two, right, really to, to, to slow down and uh, do more refined, more quality after action review. So things do happen fast, I think. So from a standpoint of the roster, I think we you owe, if we say in the building, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing is, is, is let's just keep it simple, Sunday afternoons. How can we get better, uh, let's call it, in the short term next season and also uh, sustain for the long term. And, you, and you're always juggling and balancing those two 
two variables when it comes to a roster. So we're going to always tilt toward, hey, what do we think is best to do roster wise uh, to help us stay ahead of the curve, help us uh, sharpen our edge, things like that, uh, keep our enemies guessing. Uh, or on their heels if we can, if we possibly can. So I think that's what we try to do. And if we think it's going to help us on Sunday afternoons, both in the short and long term, we'll, we're going to try to do it. And uh, it's all a bet. You never know. You know, not every bet's going to work out. Uh, uh, we certainly feel like some of the bigger bets have, you know, a relatively good chance of working out or we wouldn't, we wouldn't make them, but uh, maybe some <laughs> smaller doubt, bet you, I call it, we throw darts sometimes, you know, let's call it less risky type situations that may or may work out. So, and then you, I do, you know, you mentioned on, from a staff standpoint and we can get to their, uh, I think organizations that are uh, past a build, past a breakthrough uh, into a contention phase and 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 uh, winning consistently and like I said, I'm not bragging or anything, but it I mean it's a fact. Right since 2017, we've we've won you probably the fourth most games. So you don't say that to brag. What you do is go, okay, there is a good chance that other teams are going to want to tap into winning organizations when they're searching for new leadership. So uh, that does uh, definitely put us on notice to make sure that we are hiring uh, quality, let's call it younger or uh, replacement uh, people so that we can groom them to when, when, when other teams do come in and, and knock on the door and poach some of our, you know, better, partners and teammates we have uh next man up or next woman up ready to roll <laughs> nice 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 drop there nice one so last to, to circle back on on one of the big swings that, that you talked about the, the the beautiful mystery i think as you referred to it uh, a couple of months ago in in changing so is aaron going to host jeopardy now full-time Oh my gosh. Uh, so I've been tracking this with great interest. So he can do both at once based on the NFL uh, workday schedule. Um, he, yeah. he did some quick algebra there on his Instagram the other night. Um, and he can do both. He can do both things. I think they're in They're They're lobbying. I think he's lobbying for that uh, full time. I, I saw the first one. He did a great job. So uh, that was a nice reference too. back in the day. Less. Uh, after rumors of a certain phone call, that beautiful mystery drop. That was a that was a pretty good. Well, maybe Rich was going there with his question, but I either <laughs> intentionally cut you off so that we could bypass what you were going to ask. Or- yeah, no, it was a good point. You're you're a pro. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I mean that look, I, you know, making that trade that that you made. I, I mean, I, I think you guys have explained it at, at length. You know what what you wanted to get from for Matthew Stafford and, and why you think he's, he's the guy to, to kind of take you over the top. But I'm, I'm just curious about it from, from the other perspective and kind of from a front office, front office perspective. I mean, you guys, you invested a lot in Jared Goff and, and that just doesn't just mean money. You know, it, it means time and, and draft picks and hours spent on the field and in the film room and, and things like that. Um, I, I'm wondering what it was kind of like, 
to make that decision in that moment to say, hey, we, you know, we invested close to five years um, in this guy. And and now we think it's time, like we were just talking about, to pivot in another direction and to do it pretty quickly. Was that easy because you were so confident in the trade that you were making? Or was that difficult as you kind of processed it over the days or weeks or however long it took you to reach that conclusion? It, so I'll go, I think there's probably three prong answer to that. The, the first part of it, just because... I mean, Jared Goff is just a great kid. I mean, young man now. I don't want to say kid, right, but young man. I mean, he, even when, you know, him doing what he did recently back, you know, the the library, what have you, that that he built. I mean, that that's just a – anytime – I mean, it's just hard to write, separate sometimes being general manager, even head coach, and, and wow, that's that's somebody's son. You know, that's a – a great guy. And so to, to let's call it, make the trade. That's, that's always tough. And, and the second prong probably or variable to this is, is Jared, like you said, a lot of hours spent and Jared actually going out onto the football field on Sundays. Like none of us can go out and do what he did, but what he did and, and how he helped us really helped us get to a point where we did finally break through uh, after probably a prolonged build that got prolonged probably because of some key injuries to that QB position. So that throws into the whole variable of why you invest and teams invest so much into the quarterback position, because it, it does, that position weighs a lot in, in, and how probably a, a team's going to perform. But so Jared, all of his work and him actually going and executing on Sunday allowed us to, to get to a point where we have been contending consistently. And, and I always say contention is, hey, do you legitimately have a chance to win your, your division? Uh, he was a big part of that, right? And it's along with some other people and, and other players, but we have a, a really good head coach. We have a really good coaching staff, right? We have a, a lot of our key pillar players are in that second contract in their prime. And, and it was an opportunity that really is, is, as we said, is unique, rare in that, Hey, there's a QB of Matt's caliber that actually comes available. And I think the NFL is chaining that we get, we can't use monolithic anymore. There, it, there is, we, we see this evolution occurring where I do think teams that may be uh, thinking about rebuilding per se, are willing to give some of their uh, proven players away for uh, let's call it the commodity of a draft pick and, and to begin that build where it, it may be in the older days, if you were still rebuilding or building and you had this really good pillar player, you, you kind of kept that player on the roster and, and he was just a part of that, that build or rebuild. Right. So those things come, uh, come into to play there. So definitely not easy. Jer Jared did a lot for us to even get to the point to go, wow, uh, Matt Stafford's available and where we're at right now in the present and probably over the next 
four to five years, uh, Matt Stafford could elevate us at that position based on experience uh, that maybe Jared couldn't. Not saying Jared can't get there, uh, but that opportunity just doesn't come. And and sometimes I, I call you have to make a surgical surgeon-like decision uh, uh, that's, I would say that's, it may be unemotional, right? What's best for what we think at this point is best for the Rams, uh, not only in 2021, but 22, 23, 24. Yeah. So is that one of those where like, I mean, we talk about these, these pivots and all that. I mean, let's, let's say, you know, there's an alternate universe maybe where Matthew Stafford isn't available. Um, are, are you then, is that, that, is that what made the timing work for, for, to, to, to do that deal right then, if, 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 if that makes sense, or is, is there an alternate scenario where you go into 2021 still with Jared as your quarterback and maybe there's competition with John Wolford or there's a draft pick or, or whatever it may be. I mean, was that really the impetus to make you go, Hey, this opportunity is right in front of us. Um, and we have to take advantage of it. Yeah, to do a move of that magnitude involving quarterback, specifically involving Jared, there there definitely needed to be a Matthew Stafford on the other end, right? Not uh, we were not going to be stronger by let's call it moving Jared for a draft pick per se, right? That right. that's that that wasn't the uh, the case, and I think it did take someone of of Matt Stafford's pedigree, ability, experience, all those things, skill set to make that move. And and he uh amongst all the the rumors, right, of this all season on QB, uh, it was very interesting. That's what we write the beautiful what is it? What's the beautiful mystery? Beautiful, beautiful mystery. mystery and all all the there's other than Sam Darnold, probably recently, you know, Matthew was what right, probably the only QB to move. So it, it became a a reality like wow, there's Matthew Stafford's available. Should should we look into this based on where we're at right now and where we want to go over the next few years? And it, obviously, we came to the conclusion. And I think because Matt was was actually available, and it wasn't uh, let's call it a, a rumor and 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 pre what's going on with Deshaun right now. But hey, is Deshaun? available not things like that that those are just that's kind of speculative matt was actually available and i do think because of that a lot of teams uh right that were either without qb like a jared uh and and thinking about maybe drafting one things like that got into the let's call it the sweepstakes the chase of of matt so and, and what's very interesting i do think having someone like jared along with the draft picks helped uh, helped us win the deal per se, or help Detroit say we like the Rams deal better than others because there was a young bridge quarterback on the other end of the deal, and not not necessarily going totally into a rebuild and what we call QB abyss, right? QB unknown. Who is your QB? Mm-hmm. Someone in the draft? Is it one of the veterans that that? right? Was a free agent or available and things like that. 
And when you and you go into this and it's such a and you you use this phrase a couple minutes ago, it's such a surgical thing, right? Because there's always a ripple effect in in team building and in the way that the, you stack the rest of the pieces around and what you give up and what you can get back in and, and all of these things. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't strike me as obviously we know Matt Matthew has a couple years on on this deal. It doesn't strike me as something you guys are not looking at this as here is his window. It's two years. Instead, he hit the construct of his contract seems like a much more fluid concept for me in my mind. You can correct me if I'm wrong of like, if this guy can win longer, then we're going to try to see if we can win longer with him. Am I on the right track there? Yeah. I I don't think we did it thinking two years, right? You based on where his age, you can legitimately think five to seven, eight years. If you, if you look at, at what drew, Drew's done. I don't know if we're going to get into Tom Brady, right? And you got a 10-year <laughs> yeah. thing going. But uh, with quarterbacks of his pedigree, a lot of those guys have played right uh, into their late 30s uh, for sure. So uh, that was definitely the vision with with Matt. And then, you, like, obviously when you block off that period of time, that sort of – changes your your north stars on your roster right in terms of where you have the high investment positions and we know that Jalen Ramsey is a high investment position we know that Aaron Donald is a high investment position um you know your receivers I think as a tandem Robert Woods and Cooper Cup if you look at them as a as a tandem um high investment position I like to call them your co-number one receivers yeah we get Um, two for one instead of one for one right this yeah Aaron's one for one although it'd be nice to have Twins, twin Jalen's, twin Aaron's, but yeah, what could go? You guys will be set for the next ten years at that point, I think. But, um, but then you have to build around, right? And so I'm, I'm so fascinated. And then again, when you reestablish your north star at quarterback, like I'm so fascinated in the process of the resources that you invest, first of all, and in this case and in Jalen's case, the the first round picks off uh, trading those and and bringing in a proven a proven player, someone who you felt would outvalue based on what you think your winning your win loss record will be will outvalue that pick for the next couple of years right so it's for you okay we'll trade that for a proven entity but then all the pieces around and the ecosystem of the mid-round picks right that you guys have to first of all identify and then draft and then develop and then then you ha- you know you hand them off to the coaching staff and they develop them into what you hope is role players and then um, you know, then some of them leave and you get into the compensatory picks, which I, um, I think you guys have like 3000 coming up next year by my calculations. Um, oh, next year has got to be a record for, I think you can, we can only get four. So we well, can get five, oh, you really? can get five. Yeah. Cause Brad, cause Brad's higher in Detroit. So my, my understanding, oh, and I could be wrong, but I think you can, you have a third. Yeah. I forgot. Do we get two threes for Brad? You did, yeah. One wow. this year and one. I like so it. I, this is the hundredth episode five. This is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm letting. I need to make sure I remember that. There you go. You, we we broke some news to you, know you today. We, so that's good. Some earlier, and this is where uh, I call it. Probably needs a rebranding. Okay. But you use the word monolithic, uh, Rich. You can. You can you can break the tide, and it is interesting, right? And, and nothing gets right. That, and I call it the narrative. Sometimes we give up our first right, so now we got to hit on mid to late round picks. But 
if we do, if you look at the math, right, and you got seven rounds, technically I would look at it uh, maybe the first round, the second round, the third round, or early picks, one mid-round pick, four, five, six, and seven late, right? But if if we go with the branding of, of first-round pick is the only early pick, right, then at that point, seventh round pick would be the only late pick and you have a, a meet there. So I do the, I think it's an easy narrative, right? But this is a podcast. It's longer. You can get into the nuances that, that, okay, you you've given up your first round pick. So you have no early picks per se, but what, what we look at it really closely and I know, and I haven't updated it, but uh, I know since 2017, we've, we've had the eighth most draft picks and in terms of second and third rounders, I think we've had the second most. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with, okay, create creatively. What are you going to do with your round one pick? We had one post super bowl where we had a 31st pick and we did feel like that it would be better for us to trade back, collect more, picks right in that third and fourth round area than just sit and pick the the further first player. Because when you're picking 31 and you get to 31, there's, there's, there's a handful of players that we could have taken at that 31st pick. It wasn't like there was one guy that was definitely 31. And then there was a next player who was definitely Mm -hmm. 32. And even if that was the case, what's the difference between 31 and 32, right? But so there's a handful. So you're always thinking uh, the way I, the way we like to say it is there's in each draft and it's different. Uh, there's only a handful of players that you're pretty sure can tilt the field. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in that draft, there, there becomes a lot of quality, good players. Maybe they don't necessarily tilt the field and there's always going to be surprises. So we've taken the the approach of, all right, how do we use those first round picks, right? Get, do we trade back and get more picks in that top 100 in those, I call them early rounds, two and three, or do we use them on a Jalen Ramsey who is, uh, let's call it a, a former number five overall pick, which we've been averaging uh, since 2017, picking in the mid twenties. So you're not getting right a top five, pick that's uh just not possible so uh doing our analysis right we said okay how can we in this window now the key is you got to be aware of what window you're in mm-hmm. i was i was fortunate enough to get this job in 2012 and fortunate enough if you want to use the word right survive a little bit longer build but in that build we were maybe doing the opposite right always trading back always Mm-hmm. collect ones, things like that. And you're just, you're just trying to collect this core of talent. Uh, and then, and from there figure out, uh, you know, kind of what your identity is going to be. And then, and then when you fortunate enough to be a part of a breakthrough and then sustain that, that's when you can start strategically because at that point, right. You have a healthy core and and you can be a little more specific and maybe a, a intentionally going after players that may tilt the field, may change the math. Aaron Donald, like, right, it takes two to block him. Uh, Javen Ramsey, he may can cover their best with one instead of us taking two. Th- players like that, uh, 
and, and that we're not going to get that opportunity picking it in the 20s. And then uh, it does allow you with those, what I rebranded, right, early picks, second, <laughs> that one mid-round pick, fourth. And even as you get to the later rounds where the hit rate probability is less, because you're probably looking for more specific type uh, roles and skill sets, you're not necessarily looking for a complete player in those later rounds because your team's relatively healthy anyway. So it's a little easier to identify someone who does one or two specific things relatively well and not mm-hmm. one who has to do all five things well. So, well, I mean, that's how you get to like a guy like Jordan Fuller, right? Because of the specific things that he, he did very, very well on tape and, and on the field at Ohio state. And that happened to fit schematically extremely well with the direction you guys moved on defense right. um, last year. But to me, it's so interesting because when you, we talk about reframing and, and reassessing, it, it's like so often I think teams get into maybe overvaluing first round picks, not the, not the high picks, but the ones that come in the twenties and things like that. But you sometimes have to, if you're built, if you're rebuilding quote unquote, yes. but when you're sustaining you can reframe in your mind where you value that first round pick. You can reframe it into, I value this as much as doubling, you know, coupling it together with my next one next year and bringing in somebody who's of a higher value immediately in my mind. And then you can also reframe into, well, I I do think that second and third rounds are still considered you know, high round picks, maybe even upper fourth considered high round picks because my, my needs have changed because I'm winning sustainably. Right. Uh, excellent points on the and stage I, there, you know, and I think we, that's kind of, you're going to always analyze the draft and have your point charts and looking back and, and yes, like, like we said, there somewhere in the first round, there's, there's different shades of levels, uh, in a similar to a bell curve, right? And the, the farther you go back, the, the more players there are. Uh, fourth round's probably a little bit different than fifth, sixth, and seventh. But so there's ways we analyze that rate. I mean, and, and, and let's call it put, I mean, assign values to in the, in the how, right, we maneuver in the draft and when, when it might be good to collect. I call it collect more and, and, have a draft class be more like a mutual fund where there's, there's more, there's more players bumped mm-hmm. there. Uh, and, and then sometimes you can take the approach where, okay, let's, let's bundle some of those picks and go get a one particular player in a trade up. Cause we think uh, someone fell in their skill set. You know, that, that one player is better than, than let's call it three. So case by case. And then like, and and like Rich and I were just talking about this before you hopped on the other half of that ecosystem and they have to work hand in hand, right? The, the developing schematic matching, coaching, winning, like they have to, they have to go hand in hand. And so I think one of the things you touched on earlier is the, the kind of poaching and constant turnover on your staff. So how, like, how do you continue to establish that? sustainable dynamic when you know you're losing people left and right every morning you wake up there's someone someone new in your office so you know i what is what is that like and how do you continue to to sustain that part of the ecosystem knowing that it it's very 
the other half of it predicates on continuing to win. Yeah, it it gets it gets harder, right? It, when you when you when we lose coordinators who uh, let, let's call it execute offenses or defenses that uh, get them noticed or get them on radar to 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 go meet with an ownership group and then also then win the interview per se. That's it's I always say that's it's hard to con- you know keep doing that. But it does cause us to to really be intentional about uh, before it ever happens, right? Uh, how we develop within, uh, how we uh, identify candidates on the outside at all different levels, because uh, some 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 candidates may have longer longer runways than others in the, in the development phase. So that's but it does get hard when I mean we've lost a lot probably mm-hmm. a little it's probably a little bit more abnormal than some teams that have that have been uh winning i do think it going back to winning i do think the the winning part uh there that winning the winning culture the belief that that we can win that that i call is is efficacy right it, it's we've actually gone and done it that somehow that 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 vibe lives within the building. So from a player standpoint too, I think that does help when we bring in younger players like Jordan Fuller uh, and their rookies, but because that, that winning vibe is, is alive and real, it does, let's call it help Jordan maximize his skill set, right? Fit, fit right. in. I, I do mm-hmm. think that definitely helps along with a lot of other variables in that. So, uh, but with staff, with with players, it does take intentional, intentional. I call it identification, and then onboarding, and then at that point, uh, uh, what would you? What would be the word of of uh, now working symbiotically mm-hmm. right, with with people who weren't in your ecosystem, you know, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Les, you, you mentioned knowing what your window is or knowing what window you're in, I guess this is the way you put it. And and I've heard one of my favorite phrases of yours is, uh, you know, looking at things through a microscope and a telescope um, at, at the same time. And and I think we know, you know, w- what you're talking about here. It's, it's, you know, keeping an eye on the short term in it, but it's also looking at the long term. But, but I'm, I'm curious how, how that can change. I mean, I, I think it, I look back at 2017. I mean, you talked about, you know, looking at those film from, from Sean's first year and look less, I mean, nobody expected you guys to win a division title in 2017. Right. I mean, I don't think you, you could have gotten long odds on that. So does, does that shift over time? And how many times have we heard like, Oh, the Rams are going all in, in 2018. They, they signed and Dominican sued keep to Marcus Peters. Oh, they're going all in again in 2019 with this. Like how, for, from your perspective, is that, is that just a constant process where you, where you're evaluating every year and saying, this is where we are right now. This is what window we're in right now. Or, or is there kind of a long-term plan that you can try to execute or, or is it a, a mixture of both? I mean, how does, how does that work? All right. I'm going to, because it's, Oddly gotten really dark in my garage. Not that dark. 
in here, but on the I'm gonna, <laughs> I was gonna on, say, did you go under a bridge? Yeah. I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna turn on the light and see. Sometimes there's a glare, but we'll see if it, it works. I'll get out of the glare. We'll, we'll, we'll get the a year later, and this Zoom this yeah. Zoom lifestyle is still uh, getting yeah, to all of it, us. It was weird. It's not that dark in here, but it became dark. So yeah, uh, that looks good. And I do. It, it's interesting. I do think when you uh, when you bring on, let's call it players with more well known brands, that that can be the oh the all in narrative. Uh, and it's nice being in Los Angeles. It's nice right having a a coach that players really want to play for because when when they are free you know we're, we're getting a call and i think that's i think that's uh the location i think that's sofa stadium i think that's winning i think that's uh players vetting coach McGay, right so that but it, it was interesting uh coming in the right 20 uh, because we probably didn't necessarily go with uh, let's call it more well-known branded players. You know, they, you could easily, okay, it's over. What are they? They're not trying. Uh, that was not the case, right? It was somewhat intentional to, again, to, to, to at that point begin playing some of the players uh, that we had drafted, developed the Sebastian Joseph days. I always, bring his name up where wasn't a household name. Uh, maybe that's still a need to wait a minute. Sebastian's actually a good player. And, and, and would now, if we, if we were to lose him in a year, we probably had a hole to fill. Right. Uh, so I, I do think it, that's where that narrative, but I, I think where we're at, I think uh, being aware, Rich, that, okay, we have a really good head coach. And this goes back to that, Pointy uh, earlier, Jordan, too, about losing staff. It does help, especially on the, let's call it the offensive side of the, mm-hmm. uh, that Sean is is calling plays, calling them at at a hall, high level, designing an offense. So, right, you you get a head coach and offensive coordinator, you get you get a kind of two for one. Uh, that that helps you. Uh, let's call it overcome some of the attrition and Sean's a very bright coach that really, really likes to learn defenses, get to know about defenses. So there's that element where we can also probably have some attrition on the defense because I would call Sean a very complete football. He feels like the more he knows about defenses, the better it makes him an offense coach. So that, that kind of, you know, it kind of went in, into an, a tangent there, but I, I think having that, uh, Right. Coaching staff that believes we can win, that gives us an edge on game day from a schematic standpoint. Uh, Fortunately for us, Jared and now Matt having a QB that uh, the team actually believes, you know, gives us a chance to win on Sundays. That that helps. And, And having those players actually go win on Sundays. That helps. Now at that point, uh, you feel like with as long as we can be stable at some key positions, like we, we can bring on a Matt Stafford, and we have, as you said, the co-number ones at receiver, right? You and and, and a Higby who's been around, but 
maybe uh, let's call it more youth for running back, but okay. That we found out this year that youth can be good uh, at that position, you know, with the emergence of Cam Akers and, and even what Daryl Henderson's done, you know, the last couple of years. So, uh, but being able okay, we can bring that piece in and we know there's stability there. We have confidence in Sean and his staff and, and you just got to gut, you just, you just believe we can continue rolling. So I, I think those, those variables allow us to, and I call it efficacy and efficacy is big. It's not just confident. It's not, it's not just hope. It's, it's we've broken through and then we were able to sustain it and do and win consistently uh, so that when you do know that, right, that's not, it's not a hope. It's okay. We know we can go do this. Now the, the part that gets into the team building and, and the changes is, Hey, we're, is there anything we can do that gives us a sharper sword on Sundays uh, did any of the pieces, uh, right, for whatever reason, uh, limit our edge on Sundays? Uh, and if so, do, do we need to make a move to get sharper, uh, make a move to, uh, uh, let's call it, get ahead of of what might become a weakness? And then there gets into the case of maybe an Indomitian Sioux. And we can even go into a, a Jalen Ramsey per se, right? There's this opportunity that arises that we didn't wake up one day and go, I wonder if we can go get Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> Wait a minute. There is the Jacksonville Jaguars are wanting to uh, maybe go through a rebuild. He He's not buying into the rebuild. Those type, And now he's on the block. All right. Should we look at that? And again, I go, if we didn't think we were in some sort of wind to rich where we were, we knew we could contend for a division. It'd probably be best for us to, right, not make that move. But okay, if if we make that move, how does that move help us? Uh, does Jalen Ramsey give us uh, an edge uh, and help us, uh, you know, be sharper on Sundays in, in a significant way? And and what's nice about that too, in all of this, is like I said, Sean being an offensive coordinator and dialed in can, can go back to how he had to play or call a game against a Jalen Ramsey. Uh, and then, and then also understand how other people are doing it. And okay. If we onboard Jalen and we actually use Jalen in these particular or specific ways, it's worth doing. Mm-hmm. So I think all of those things kind of, all together, you know, uh, definitely, definitely helps us know we're in a window and then be aware that we're in that window. And then how do we take advantage of Los Angeles so far, uh, a team people want to be to, to, to make the most of that. I was going to follow up with that, with that microscope, microscope telescope thing. Is, is that like, I, I, when, when I hear you say that, I don't think you're saying like, Oh, we think Jalen Ramsey's going to be a good player now. And he's going to be a good player four years from now. I think that that's kind of a given, like, are you, are you already looking out at things like this is how our salary structure could look in 2024 
Uh, are, do you do you take a look that far ahead, or or when you you know restructure Aaron Donald's contract, or you think about like you said re-signing a Sebastian Joseph Day, or even when a Cam Akers contract comes up, or something like that? Like, is that are are you doing that kind of calculus as you go along, or is that something you kind of revisit at different times? Yeah, I think you're you're constantly you're consistently doing it. Uh, so. And you, you certainly, you certainly, uh, sometimes right, aren't prepared for. Oh, wait a minute, maybe we were built for a two hundred and ten million dollar <laughs> cap, but now it's one eighty five. Have to adjust there, but you're always so you're always looking ahead. In two thousand twenty four, it's probably right, really, really tough to 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 look out. But what you what you're let's let's be simple and going well aware uh, that. Even with uh, without a, a COVID-ridden cap, uh, there was a chance that uh, when John Johnson came up that, okay, we would have choices to make. So at that point, last year, we ended up drafting two safeties. The year before we drafted a safety, uh, we, we, we signed a safety at cutdown Joe Reed that we would have drafted as well. So, so we, okay, let's, let's kind of restock. Let's make sure we, we make, we have answers uh, within with, with maybe a year of development, similar, similar to, to tight end last year when we drafted Bryce and Hopkins, right? It, okay. There's a chance Gerald Everett, uh, we can't pay Gerald. Uh, Cause we, you know, at that point in time, we had chosen, Higgs is our number one. So uh, should we draft this, even though he didn't play much in last year, it was probably a bonus pick, but the, that's the fortunate, that's the fortunate stages we're in is when we do draft players, uh, they don't necessarily have to come right in and play. And if they do great, but it is nice to be able to, to groom them, develop them. And, and, you know, our coaching staff have, have, confidence that okay when we when we do put them out there for the first time uh they're ready to go so i i think you're you're we're, we're always doing uh you know that type of that type of planning rich and and trying to stay ahead of it so when you do lose someone it's not like wow there's a major void right it, when we lose austin Blythe, we're oh no we we have no answers within and and then, and then that way it allows us to go into free agency, allows us to go into the draft without having to have a certain position. So then you can, you can, if you call it the simple line of, of take the, the best available player, which is, which is somewhat subjective, right? That would, that would be the Rams thinking whoever we took was the best available player, but cause all boards are subjective, but mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say is at least within our own subjective board, we're not reaching because, wow, we have to have that position. And you could go do a Jordan Fuller, right? Just because it, hey, let's just, he's a good player. I mean, he has a role. Let's, let's grab him. So we're going to try to stay ahead. It's not going to happen every year, uh, uh, unfortunately, but that's the, what, I would say like a position that all of a sudden got 
somewhat thinner maybe is corner, right? When when Troy left and and but we had uh, we drafted David Long a few years ago, so we knew we could handle the loss without being in desperate need. Does does David become Troy Hill? Don't know Troy. That's big big shoes to fill per se for someone who might have been unknown a, a few years ago. But you're always trying to stay ahead of that curve with young players with talent skill set, and then when we do insert them, yeah, they're ready to go. There are two- Short-term and long-term, but the long-term's the, the hardest. The, the, what we always want to be able to do, though, is and, – and even with draft picks, even though, right, the narrative is we, we give them away and we're mortgaging the future, uh, we definitely and, – and your five picks, Jordan, are going to help us. I mean, we definitely want to be a team that, when it's all said and done, probably has – probably in the top ten in terms of draft picks. Uh, because we are a, a draft and develop team. And we're also, a, let's use our draft picks in a creative way, if possible. We don't have a fifth rounder this year, but it was for Austin Corbett, who was a 33rd pick that we liked uh, and then didn't work out in Cleveland. So, right, we felt like this year's fifth round pick was worth uh, trading for Austin Corbett. So, Mm-hmm. Right. Collect draft picks, use draft picks. When you do use them, be intentional, develop them, give the coaching staff credit. Cause you got, you gotta have courage to play them too. And, and, and I say that with our ILBs this year had the courage to go, Hey, well, let's go. We lost Corey Littleton. Let's go in with, with T Howard, Micah Kaiser, you know, our, our entire group, Troy Reader that's played. Uh, Kenny Young, who we got in a trade, then then T. Howard goes down to still let's go have the fortitude to go instead of going to get someone like Todd Davis, who was cut by the Broncos that cut down a veteran, saying, "Okay, how much better is Todd than Micah? Uh, right? Maybe he's more experienced. Things like that. That's still subjective, but we think they're pretty close. Let's let's stay with them. That's not necessarily easy to do. And I give our coaching staff tremendous credit for, for having that, you know, I call it fortitude. Well, and plus you guys had a, a plethora of safeties who could play for you on day one. Cause you went out and got more and you had a scheme that helped scheme away from like, let to use your phrase, let's call them like off ball linebackers and, and kind of make their, make that onboarding transition period, maybe a little bit less of a, uh, a stress point if that if that's the the correct way of putting it and I think when you can combine playing young guys in a system that fits their talents or fits maybe hide some of the what other places would perceive as like a blemish maybe or a, or a stress point you know right. after injuries and things like that then that that probably helps and when I think about you guys' phrase and your phrase of the microscope telescope I think the the in team building and this is just me maybe waxing poetic, but I, I really like to look at it in like three phases. And one of them is obviously the on-field stuff and then the the fiscal stuff and then the draft. And and in the on-field stuff, the best example to me that I always think of is Sean hiring Brandon Staley because he wanted to, first of all, beat the Vic Fangio Brandon Staley system, first of all, and work against it, but learn it because other teams now are going to be running it because everyone's going to run 
dang, 11 personnel and that, that stops it and all this stuff. So now learning it, knowing it, you know, Brandon's going to leave. So you're looking at the short term of, I want the number one defense. I want to run something that people aren't running. I want that for myself and my, and my staff versus the long term. I want to know how to run this system and I want to know how to then tweak it. So when others copy it, I can maybe be one step ahead. And to me, that's like a short term, long term combination of what edge is going to give me what, what, how am I going to get an edge on Sunday, but also how am I going to look at the, the long term, um, of the situation and, and what I can do to sustain, as you call it, the, the winning period and the, and the success period. No doubt. It was first thing, first thing that comes to mind and you said a lot of good things there and you should probably should record that. And that's good. <laughs> that's a good statement in that, right. We, we were able to bring in someone that, that had the, like we talked about earlier, right. We poached Brandon for many reasons from an individual standpoint, very bright up and coming coach, but also, right. He wasn't a part of second rank mm-hmm. defense. He was a part of a, a big Fangio defense that right has sustained success over many years. So a chance for Sean to, to, to bring that in learn it and then keep that within our ecosystem. So then that helps us right handle the attrition. And, and then going back to some of the things I think both you and Rich said is, is, is earlier is when you when you make a bet on a Aaron Donald, uh, Jalen Ramsey in terms of uh, let's call it highest paid at their position, or at least one or the two, right? That can they at that point change some of the math so that what we're trying to accomplish? Uh, and let's just keep it simple, right? All but hey, we can go with Jalen Ramsey. It makes it easier. Uh, if you want to say stomach, hey, going with now Troy Hill and Darius Williams. But a year later, mm-hmm. right, it's neat. A year later, it's like, wow, dude, how are the Rams going to handle the Troy Hill loss, right? That's that's. I give Troy credit for making the most of that opportunity. I give Jalen credit for uh, having the skill set to, to help those guys. I give our defensive staff credit for putting everybody in position to, to do it. But, but those type uh, – those type equations do help uh, help us be able to go. Let's call it younger, lesser known as some of the other role players. And and the nice thing is, if if they go and and perform, they become more known and harder to replace. So. And then you get into your favorite part. Well, maybe not your favorite. I'm possibly speaking for you, but the collecting more picks. As a, as a part of that ecosystem and collecting the, the the comp picks as they roll through and having that become part of the balance uh, between the high dollar contracts of your core players, like we said, your North Star players, and then in co- working in complement, I guess no pun intended, having those comp picks sort of e- maybe ease the pain, I guess, a little bit of of losing some of those those guys in free agency. Yes, here uh, it's a it's a. Favorite topic of mine, and, and again, I think it similar to losing Brandon Staley, similar to losing Matt LaFleur's or, or Zach Taylor's or, or Shane Waldron's when you're a team that's had success and then you have uh, younger players come up for a second contract. Uh, usually when you're a team that's had success, there's you're going you're gonna to have pe- players you want to play and you're not going to be able to pay them all. 
So at that point, other teams, right, they they like signing players uh, from winning teams. And so it then that gets into, okay, that's that's probably a fact. That's probably part of NFL physics that's been going on. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers probably could, you know, put a class, the Baltimore Ravens could write, they could write a or lead a class on that, right? Having that, if you want to call that high class problem of, of winning, losing players, but it's, it's really the reaction or the second part of the equation is our, how do you replace those players? Uh, and you could go, let's go back into the free agency market and replace them. Maybe with, you could call it cheaper players than the one you just lost. Uh, players with experience, things like that, but that that then punishes the comp formula. It, once you get get the, I call it the snowball rolling, and, and the ball gets bigger, right? You can always use those picks and say because we don't have to fill things immediately. We can some if you want to call it red shirt players or have them dress on game day and, and, and help out on special teams, and and then there's attrition and sometimes either and things like that. But mm. once the snowball starts going, uh, it does, it does make it where, okay, lose players. Uh, that's not always easy to, to stomach or replace, but hopefully you're not doing it with a brand new player, rookie or veteran. Uh, ideally we like to do it with a, Hey, a Sebastian Joseph, uh, uh, you know, uh, a Darius Williams, a Troy Hill, you know, when we do lose, Marcus Peters things, you know, those type things. It's a little time to get it going. But once you get once you get it going, it, it's it's a little easier. So uh being disciplined on the back end of replacing the players you lost do does allow us to uh get some bonus. I like to call them early picks, Jordan. I know. Okay, that's the thing that not I was just, gonna get to. Not just making every pick after the first round, mid round delay. I know. You know, that's I think that's being unfair to the number two. <laughs> That was the thing I was going to say there, because there's that meme of you that I know you have seen where it's, it, it's floating around and it's uh, you and it's the Michael Jordan phrase, but it's the play off of the Michael Jordan phrase. Uh, and, and so it's you saying basically like F them picks, but, but like, you know, my mom thought that was really me. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. No. She thought I was really, I mean, that, Embarrassing, oh my gosh. Well, well, like the, the main theme of this podcast is you're, you're sitting there telling us like, no, I actually really love draft picks. In fact, I love them so much that second and third draft round draft picks are actually early picks to me. That's how much I love them. So we yes. have to change the narrative here. I think. I'm here to fight for the number two and three. <laughs> I think, uh, because of the LA Rams we're uh, unfairly punishing numbers two and three, <laughs> and we've called them mid to late. Like if you if you were second in the class and you're solidatorian, I mean, do you count yourself as just a mid level student? <laughs> I don't you know? know. I was never close. Yeah. Up to y'all, Rich and Jordan, to, to to appropriately, you know, quantify the number two and three. Well, we've we've got your campaign right. slogan there. There we go. We've got it down. They're gonna think everybody's gonna think I'm biased, though, right? I mean, <laughs> sure, he's the guy that gives up all the ones. Sure, he'd say two and three is a good number. I, I think my favorite. I mean, that's 
<laughs> there's probably some element of cognitive bias that I even campaign. I, I think my favorite one was when you traded a draft pick and then traded back for the exact same pick. Was that I think that was like, was that the Akib trade? I think and and then it was the year that you traded every every pick that you had. Like you you didn't end up drafting any of the of the slotted picks that you had. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think at one point you you traded a pick and then I think you traded back with Denver to get the exact same pick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, and it's interesting when you're in the draft, you don't necessarily like realize that's going right. on per se. You know what I mean? It, it's just happening. But I, I, I do know another narrative that secretly bothered me, right? Is not narrative, but when like when you make a trade and it's always like, okay, you you hey, who won the trade five years later? And it's like you got these two players, like but and I get why you would do it, right? Because you got those two picks for so you got these two players. But oftentimes, right, you with teams that are making trades in their building, you let's take the Dolphins, right? You couldn't even keep up with now with what right. picks were actually Laramie Tunsil's picks, right? But because they made that trade and they had this this pile of picks, they were able to continue. That that trade just compounded. So it would be unfair if we ever did it and we said, well, the Dolphins lost the trade because, you know, with the exact picks that they got rid of, for Tonsil, they only drafted these two backups per se, right? But yeah. I think you see what I mean. You see what I'm trying to say. A lot of times when when you do that, uh, you end up using that, you know, those picks to continue trading back. Because you're in that, you're in that, I call that that building mode. And, that, and that's what's neat about today's NFL. I think the the Cleveland Browns did a a nice job. The the Dolphins have done, which is is different. There's an element, right, where the the fan base is uh, buy in to an extent that we're building again, right? Oh, it better work out. I, I get all of that, but then when it does tip and works work out, it right. It you go okay. That was a that was a good idea. It was we get you know that it was a nice blueprint. And and maybe when you trade a let's call it a, a really good left tackle initially, it could be. Well, I mean, you're getting worse. What are you doing? But I, I do think the climate. Uh, in the NFL today is is heading that way where they're I don't want to call the fan base is forgiving to be but they're they're more aware they're more enlightened and tuned and and then right and then you get the tank for Tua you know theme instead of all in for 2018 thing. Well it's I mean it's we're it's Obviously, because we as journalists are communicating it better these days. I mean, that's that's instantly what I what I think is yes. <laughs> over is at correct. the athletic.com website and app. Are you, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> right. When you got an athletic.com, right, there's no there's no editor with a word requirement. You can write longer <laughs> articles. Am I am I right or wrong? You can do a podcast. Limitless. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, and like, I could not be. You don't more, have to sum it up in a tweet, right? Hate that. Yeah, and you know what? We like we could not be more grateful, Les, for you taking all of the time that you have today. Because again, like, we have this vast space to fill with ideas, and so it means a lot that you talked us through some of your process and 
touched on some of the the more newsworthy items and also like really got granular with team building with us because I know um, our listeners uh, are huge fans of of that kind of detail. And um, so we really, really appreciate you taking the time today. And I feel like we could talk for several more hours, but we will not keep you from your dinner in that <laughs> regard. So, you know, what's unique though, what's awesome is we, you know, we, we opened up the podcast, right. With, okay. With, with Austin Bly, you know, that's, that's refreshing. It's not, you know, it's not the, let's open up with the star player or the, that we open up with the nuts and bolts, right. Austin. <laughs> that's what we do. Replace. That's what we do over here. we, we like all parts of football, the ugly parts, the good parts, the the non-shiny parts and the shiny parts. So that's, that's yeah. what we love. Thanks, Les. I know we're looking forward to uh, it was it was so weird to have uh, an empty SoFi Stadium. You know, last year, I know everybody's looking forward to uh, to, to getting fans back in the building. And I, I know it'll be a, a pleasure for you, I'm sure, and for all the players to to get uh, a little bit back to normal and, and play play some NFL football the way that you're used to. All right. That was very surreal. Yeah. That first Sunday night game when we're playing the Cowboys, and I'm like, this is Sunday night football. And I don't know if I've been to a scrimmage this <laughs> quiet. Uh, but yeah, they, but what I think that that's called the the rose of that thorn is anytime we, we did play and anytime uh maybe it went on national TV, because there were no fans there, you, it was almost like wow, look at this uh rare piece of architecture, right? Yeah, right. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> All yeah. of the corners and the nooks and crannies on display. Yeah. If that was a rose of a thorn, we're, we're ready for that thorn to be done and, and right. Fill that thing up. Yeah. Rams fans. The thing that I liked was you could hear the hits better. So like that, that same Sunday night game, that Jordan Fuller stop on, I believe it was third down and short. Oh yeah. Fourth down and short. Yeah. It was fourth and short that Jordan Fuller stop where he kind of like emerged where he right. went across traffic and, and yeah. And like, you could actually hear it. That's a big play. He, if he doesn't make that play, they may go in and we may start 0 and 1. I mean, that's, that was a, a very big play, but I, I, I know we, the competition committee just came out, but with scoring being up less punts, the road team probably having a better record than the, than the home team this year by a game. I mean, I think that the no fans in stadiums certainly, there was some. There was certainly a ripple effect in terms of offensive points scored. I do think it, it helped opposing team teams' offenses right play somewhat like they do at home because there there is a legit when you when you do force a, an offense to go silent count less less audibles less changing things at the line of scrimmage you know more catching the D, DL. Not firing off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a legitimate home field advantage that that compounds over the year. Yeah, you have to change water, water like sixteen times through the course of the, through the course of the season. At that point, so I'm looking forward to hear what Matthew Stafford's calls are at the line of scrimmage. That's always fun. Yes, seriously, man. Thank you for taking the time to to do this, and uh, I think we'll see you in a couple weeks. Uh, the big show's coming and it's coming swiftly. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Oh that. Yeah. We had our first draft meeting with the coaches today. So are you gonna tell us how it went? Productive day. Productive day. <laughs> the biggest thing at this time of year, because I I just want it to be a real discussion. Uh, because this time of year I've had so many meetings and you don't want it to be like this structured, you know, too rigid of 
write uh, just, hey, this is what I think about the player now. It's it's trying to structure these meetings where, okay, we're, we're truly talking about realistic scenarios and, and things like that. So that's what yeah. – this is my favorite time of year because I'm pretty much done with my preparation and now I can really sit back, have fun, listen to the coach's perspective, and, and I try to – Try to put a Rams draft board together. Cool. We'll catch you. We'll catch you soon, Les. Thanks again. All right. I enjoyed it. Well, Rich, that was uh, fantastic. I mean, thanks to Les Need for giving us the time. Um, thanks to all of our 11 personnel listeners for 100 episodes. You know, we had to kind of do it up big for our 100th. And um, I, th- I feel like we could have, like, Les could have stayed and talked to us for another two hours and maybe we should have. Maybe we, if it weren't draft season, maybe we should have just let it let the tape run, right? Yeah, exactly. I think we could just bring him on as the third co-host. I, yeah. I think that's <laughs> uh, we could just do that every week. I, I think that would work just fine. I think we had good chemistry, but um, yeah, that's what. Look, I you know you can you can be critical if you're if you're a fan of a team. You you can you know dislike certain decisions that are made or question them. But when an executive comes out like that and, and explains things. Um, I, I think it's it's so valuable, and and it's it really does give you a great glimpse of what goes on inside the organization, and and I really think it it, it benefits everyone when when that happens. So it's it's less has always been like that in the in the five years uh, since the since the team moved from St. Louis. I mean, he's always an open book. He's always you know, very helpful in terms of helping you understand things. And, and, uh, certainly as a, as a reporter and, and I think fans feel the same way. It's, uh, it's very beneficial, very helpful. So that was, that was awesome. Yeah. And I feel like we, you know, for you and I, like we wanted to give, we wanted to give a little bit of news worthy points. We wanted to cover some of the, the modern stuff, but like, God, I just really, really love talking about team building and like learning about it. For me, it's, it's like, you know, this is not something that I had access to or or was privy to for most of my life, right? And so to me, it's like when, you're, when your mom and dad let's start letting you watch like adult movies for the first time, or that's probably a wrong way to phrase it, PG-13 movies, <laughs> not adult movies, but PG, <laughs> PG-13 movies for the first time um, when, when you're – and like – all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm going to watch like Die Hard. I'm going to watch all the like the good stuff that makes the loud noises and all this stuff that I was too young for before. It, it's like a little bit of a similar feeling because now it feels like um, and for the last, you know, eight years or so of my career, it's felt like just an opportunity to learn. And it, it's not just even learning a new language, but like really getting granular into the why of things and and the process of things. And that's something I'm so grateful for. And the fact that you guys as listeners have given us a platform, um, and by the way, a phenomenally and steadily growing platform, thank you very much, um, to be able to do these kinds of things and to really get into not just the your news bullet points, but also like the why of things. I think Rich and I are so grateful for that um, and, and have been rich, rich for a hundred episodes, me for like 60 something since I, since I came on board. Um, so happy 100th rich. I, I think that, uh, I know I have, yeah. uh, I, I know I have a, a certain, uh, weekly biweekly reminder in my head that I want people to know how they can celebrate, but, uh, I'm gonna let you team me up for it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I want to thank everybody too. And, and first of all, um, you Jordan and, uh, 
want to thank our our producer Danielle, who just does a phenomenal job um, every week. You, she's you, like she's guys. I wish she like she's incredible. Yeah. she's yeah. She she's the one who really runs this show. <laughs> There's no question about it. Uh, and and if everybody we we've mentioned her in previous episodes, but are are you there? Are you are you caller caller? Are you there? Can can you join? First us time, long time. Yes, I am always here. Right. <laughs> she's always listening. Some, some Always watching. Some people might might know this voice if you if you lived in the Los Angeles area. This is this is Chip from the Kevin and Bean program uh, that was a smashing success for a, a couple decades. Kind of the soundtrack for a lot of us um, growing up in in Southern California in morning radio. So Chip was a, a huge part of that program, and we've been so lucky to have you uh, for for the past couple of years here. Do you remember? Chip, do you remember our our first episode with Vinny? I, I love telling the story. Is uh, oh my gosh, we we started yes. recording. Excuse me, we started speaking, and uh, about five minutes in, I had to pause and I said, "Guys, I'm really sorry, but I'm not recording this." And then there's another small pause, and Vinny goes, "I'm not recording it either." And I I just wondered like. <laughs> Here, the athletic had had hired this this radio professional uh, to to come in and and run our show, and she must have been sitting there thinking, like, "I am working with morons." <laughs> Is this a bad time to tell you I've not been recording this whole hour and a half? Oh my goodness! Oh my god! That's okay. We'll don't just call even. Last don't back. even. Don't even try. <laughs> my heart went into my toes. <laughs> I mean, we just went full. I mean, you have to celebrate the one hundredth like the first. I feel like it's full circle. Yeah, exactly. Tradition. Yeah, yeah. Tradition. Well, oh, my God. To thank you very much uh, for, for everything for, for 100 great episodes. It's been awesome. Yeah. It, thank you, guys. It really has. And I uh, want to thank Vinny, of course. Vinny is off, too. He parlayed this podcast into a radio show, if you talk can about believe leverage. that. Talk about, talk about, like, we, you know, we need to figure out what our, what our pick right. formula and our, right. like, NFL algebra is because I think we're owed something because we we should at least get a third rounder for Vinny. Vinny like yeah. he carried the team for a while, man. He certainly did, and uh, still still a good friend. Still text him what's going on, so he's doing well in Las Vegas. So thank you, Vinny. Uh, Jake Reiner filled in for quite a few episodes. Jake was around the team uh, working at CBS Two. Uh, did a did a great job during during our transition. Really grateful for him. A uh, couple other hosts we had, a friend Joe Curley from the Ventura County Star. And then we were lucky enough to get Jordan. So Jordan, I'm I'm very excited. Couldn't be happier with where we are right now. Looking forward to the next 100 episodes. And oh, as yeah. you mentioned, Jordan, w- people are going to want to keep track of all your great coverage at The Athletic, on our app, on our website, leading up to the draft. OTAs, everything that's going on. And if they go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel to sign up today, what can they get? A sweet, sweet discount, baby. Sweet (laughs) discount. (laughs) My favorite thing in the world, a discount. Um, Yes, that is always ongoing. So even though our $1 per month promo has ended for those asking, um, you can always get a discount uh, on a year subscription to The Athletic when you sign up and subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast. 
while you're on our podcast page, um, I am so excited to share with you guys that The Athletic Podcast has a new project, and it's called Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks. Now, if you're a fan of basketball or just a fan of uh, schadenfreude, I think that this is something that you are going to want to tune into, and I hope I pronounced that right. Um, so Shattered, it's a documentary-style podcast, and it covers the past 20 years of the Knicks. Even cooler, it's hosted by hip-hop legend Chuck D, you know, that Chuck D from Public Enemy. Um, and it covers the the wild and crazy stories and the the highs and the lows of the Knicks under James Dolan and reveals never before never heard before stories about Dolan, um, the Knicks, and the NBA in general, and is chock full of tons of exclusive interviews with former Knicks players, coaches, and executives, including analysts and, and people who covered basketball at the time as well. And so you're going to learn about everything from the 90s Knicks and what caused their demise and what it's like to be banned from the garden. Um, all kinds of things about relationship drama between, you know, players and team dynamics and what it's like to even work for James Dolan. So definitely check that out. New episodes of Shattered are released every Tuesday. Again, it's called Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks. And you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to us for 100 episodes. We could not be more grateful to you. Don't forget to hit uh, subscribe in your podcast page. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Don't forget to call us. You can leave us voicemails now at 562-384-2464. Once again, that is 562-384-2464. And we, as always, look forward to hearing from you.